Welcome back to another episode of Merged Worlds. Sure that the microphone and everything is working. Yes, it is. Fix one little setting here real quick, if you'll bear with me. I uh, thank you all for coming by and listening to my story again. Um, today's a uh, special episode, really, right? Uh, last episode ended on a small tidbit of information. And I can tell you that today's episode will be dealing with that specifically. So very likely not see anything with the kids today. Now, there is a tiny chance that today's episodes may be a little shorter than normal because I, I don't want to bounce into some of the kids stuff and, and not, you know, because if I, if I do that, I won't get to what I consider a good stopping point. And I hate to just start up a little bit, you know what I mean? And then, eh. so I'd rather shy, uh, err on the side of short. Of course, for all I know, it could go 30 minutes late. Like, I never know. When I write this, it's so hard for me to judge what I put on paper versus how long the story is going to take, right? Um, because some of it's reading and then some of it's bullet points. And the bullet points, as I'm telling that story, sometimes I'm getting into much more detail and things than I planned. And then I look down and I realize the time's way short too long. Ah, let's see. Queen will be right back. Hello, everybody. Who's here? Gucci's here. Hello, Gucci. Welcome to Merge Worlds. Uh, MT Bionic. Hello, Miss Ashley. Always happy. Go and get herself some dessert. And Panda just finished up the last episode. Excellent. Well, you guys don't have to have to wait quite as long, or at least your husband doesn't, before he gets to hear what how it goes on next. What a lucky guy. <laughs> so yeah, today we are going to be discussing. Um, well, I'll put it this way. I've mentioned in many episodes in the past that when I'm writing, I write little titles to sections or chapters or things like that. And uh, I have uh, the, the title of this one is I've known it for years. The title of this section is How to Grow a Rose, which is always kind of what I thought would be kicking. And he says, don't worry, we can ask questions, drag it out. I might, you know, depending, I might do a little bit of Q&A at the end of the stream. That wouldn't be that bad. Big D, did someone get to your hair? Oh, no. I just, I'm not wearing the hat today. I wore it out while I was running around errands this morning. and sweated in it, so I want to wash it before I wear it again. That, and I'm thinking about sh cutting the beard at least halfway off. Bringing it up a lot. Trim it down like this. Something like that. Back to a regular beard. This is just getting all scraggly. <laughs> Those of you who are listening to this on iTunes or Spotify are like, we have no idea what this fat guy looks like. Here he is talking about his hair and his facial hair. <laughs> Yeah, I am a nice guy. <laughs> I, breathe, I like the name. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we're going to jump into that. So, for again, brief recap. At the end of last episode, at least recap of the stuff that's going to affect today. Um, Artemis, and well, we learned that, you know, that uh, there was a death in Serenity. Luther died. Uh, so, you'll remember... He's been a, a main character, main NPC, for a very, very long time, right? Been with the story. Um, for those of you who may not remember him, he was a um, Templar who way, way back uh, in the, the early parts of Paxawal, Serenity first started, Ar Artemis was given a vision by her god, and so were two other people. Uh, one of them is uh, was Lucas. Oh, I call him Luther a second. Lucas. 
Uh, and then the other one was a, a young female cleric named Misha. And I've had people ask, hey, Lucas, obviously we know why Lucas is there. Lucas has done all sorts of badass stuff and protected Artemis and the family and been involved in a whole mess of stuff. So we definitely understand why Lucas was sent up there. But Misha hasn't really had a moment in the sun. Not yet. I can guarantee you I did not send her up there for no reason. <laughs> but again, it's one of those things where uh, sometimes things are put in the story that won't be resolved till much later. And today's story is a perfect example of that. The Black Rose has been a behind-the-scenes character in Merged Worlds for, in our lives, 15 years. In the story, even longer, right? So, Black Rose has always been a, we don't know who it is, we don't know what's going on, blah, 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 right? Um, but Lucas passing was, was something I wanted to happen. He was going to be someone who passed away in his sleep. He was an older guy, and once he had his final battle... I always pictured Lucas, you know, when he showed up, you could, he always was that powerful. He's an older guy, you know, kind of like Gibbs on, on NCIS. And like that. An older guy, great hair, but he still had that strength, that power to him. But after that battle, he just seemed to look his age at that point. It's like an overnight change where he was still in good health and everything, but he just didn't have that aura. He'd served the purpose that he needed to, and now he could finally rest and enjoy the last years of his life, which we look at storylines, I mean, him and Molly were together a good 15 years before we got right? Because that happened when or any most of the other kids were ever born or close to it. So um, he's been with Molly and married to her for a long time. And he got to retire and enjoy the last part of his life and passed away in peace, which uh, for someone of, of to have that opportunity who's lived the life that he has, uh, I think is probably a best case scenario. But it's going to take a toll on a lot of people, especially Artemis. He was the father of Terra. So, sticking around with her there for 20, 20, 25 years at this point. So, our characters are in their 40s at this point. They're, they're, they're getting up there. Well, except for Artemis, who's going to freaking live forever. hope that sounded ominous. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so that happened. And when they Artemis and uh, Draven returned back to the room, sitting inside was Cat. Cat is one of the Rose's thorns, one of her lieutenants. The very few people who know who the Rose really is and is the, the, the go-between. When she speaks, it is assumed she's speaking the Rose's the uh, commands and everyone else does it. You know, there's, there's not a lot of question there. I mean, there's always been those rumors like, does the Rose even exist? Are these thorns the ones that are really running it? You know, kind of thing. But uh, they don't ask that. They don't say that for long. She's one of the roses, although it may have been slightly implied for a very long time that I was building up to her being the rose. But it wasn't it case. But she was there to tell them that the rose wanted to meet with Artemis. This, of course, blew Draven's mind, because he knows the truth of who wrote. And as soon as Artemis knows, it's not something you can forget. Artemis agrees to go, and when she goes there, she's in the sewers, where the rose spends a lot of her time. Ends up in a shadowed room. And uh, the rose steps out of the shadows, and the person that steps out of the shadows is Dandy. Asking all Artemis can say is Dandy. Okay. I'd like to begin by saying Dandy has been the rose since the moment I conceived of the rose. She's always been that way. She's always been that. And no, 
the young lady who played Dandy, no one in the group, unless they've watched the last episode, still doesn't know that Dandy is really the Rose. Um, Rose has always meant to be Dandy, or part of Dandy, which we'll learn more about now. So, kind of one of those things, it's, uh, concerned, I'm building up to a lot, and there's going to be a lot of questions of, huh? But my only real concern with creating the Rose's identity many years ago was that, how would the person playing the character feel knowing that there was a part of her character she didn't know about? And in my mind, that was perfect, because that's exactly what Dandy's going to Dandy doesn't know part of it either. And it would be very hard to, I think, for a player to play Dandy not knowing the rose with me throwing hints of the rose out there, but she really knew. I, just, I didn't want to put that strain on. I wanted her to play Dandy the way Dandy did Dandy without any knowledge of it. Rob taking over her body. That's a good guess, Queen. Good guess, Gucci. I will definitely check that out for the stream. And he says he worries how scared everyone is of the rose. I can say that that is justified. I got a little bit of reading to start off with. I'm going to break into, you know, free speech. I call it free speech when I'm just breaking into not reading. Not free speech, right? But uh, I'll be breaking into that time and again as I go through it. So we'll begin. Artemis was stunned. The woman before her was Dandy, her dearest friend. Her hair hung loose over her shoulders instead of her usual top knot, and she was wearing a dress. Other than that... The woman before her was identical. You cannot be dandy, Artemis finally said. This is some kind of trick. I assure you, no trick, replied Rose. But you are correct. I am not dandy, in a matter of speech. Rose sat down at the table and motioned for Artemis to join her. Artemis hesitated a moment, but decided to sit down. Rose poured them each a drink. I know you have a lot of questions. Time is short. I knew you'd have trouble believing me. I've asked someone else here to join us. As if on cue, another figure stepped out of the darkness. Artemis knew who it would be, but her heart sank when Michaels came into view. He wore his normal hunting leathers, and the familiar Menandra was strapped to his back. Hello, Artemis, he said sadly. Tell me this all can't be true, Artemis pleaded. I am so sorry, my friend, Michael replied. Rose and Dandy are one. It is a difficult tale to tell. Harder to hear. What she tells you will be true. Artemis had no choice but to nod in resignation. Thank you, Michael. That will be all, said Rose. Michael sighed and walked back into the shadows. A moment later, Artemis heard a door close gently. May I assume you are satisfied? asked Rose. Yes, replied Artemis. Tell me, how did this come to be? Of course, said Rose. You'll need to know everything. You're going to help us. Begins to tell her tale. I have always been there, though as you will come to know, not as I sit here now. In the beginning, I was little more than emotion. 
a small space in Dandy's mind. Tender, you see, are immune to fear. They also rarely get angry, even feel shame. The emotions still exist, but in Tender's mind, they dissipate quickly, burning out before they can ever be felt. That was me. I had no name, no thoughts of my own, no awareness of my own existence. But I was the part that dissipated those emotions. There were three events, three moments in time, that led to my awakening. The Great Merge changed many, how many things work in the world, and it also set in motion the three events we'll speak of. You were a part of it, Artemis, though you had no knowledge of any. You were there, one of them. The first was many years ago, when we were searching for those damned artifacts. Remember the village, Artemis? Remember what we saw there? Artemis nodded, shuddered in the memory. I do. Every face every body, every wound. I can remember every detail like I was still standing there. Still smell it. Dandy had never seen that kind of horror. It was almost too much for her to comprehend. The pain and anguish very nearly overwhelmed her. But I was there. I took as much of it as I could. It was so much that a tiny part of Dandy snapped. The rage worked like fuel of a fire, and for the very first time, became aware. It was only a little at first, but over time my consciousness continued to grow. I had no name or any desires or thoughts, but I was watching our life for the very first time as my own. It was to be many, many years before the second incident but I'm sure you remember it as well. When Dandy walked into that haunted citadel, saw Michael sitting there, merged with the death gem, it broke her heart. She had no choice but to fight him, hated herself for doing so. The aftermath, burying our friends, and Michael leaving again, was again more than Dandy could handle. But you all needed her, were chasing after the Vasanya stones. You literally had the weight of the world on your shoulders. Once more I served my purpose, taking and dealing with our sadness, our anger. Dandy was able to continue. I had learned too much. I had become self-aware, though Dandy had no idea that I existed. Still, I watched our life as Dandy lived it, though my thoughts were now my own. I had no control over our body, but I never tried to. I never saw myself as a physical entity, and I was content. I shared Dandy's emotion of happiness and anger. I rejoiced when Dandy and Michael re reunited, though I found I did not share her feelings of love for him. I watched as again Dandy put herself in the way of danger. You all did. Time after time after time. And then came the final incident. 
the one that set me free. We laid there, broken, bleeding, near death and defeat. Daedalus had hurt everyone. We saw Michael fall, sacrificing himself for us, that we may have a chance to live. It was over for all of us. But then, I heard a voice. It was feminine, but echoed with power. Menandra gave us a choice. We could merge with her. Perhaps gain a chance of success. We wanted to save us all. But in that moment, I also realized something. I didn't want to die. Me. Not us, but me as an individual. Menandra spoke again, saying I was our last hope. Then that I realized the artifact was not talking to Dandy. It's talking to me. I accepted. I reached out my hand, my hand, and took hold of her. Pain and anger in levels I'd never felt forced through me. For you see, that's what Menandra feeds. And I was a lifetime's worth all at once. You know what happened. We were victorious. And I had been born into my own being. The living, breathing person. I had full control of my body whenever Dandy sleeps. And in some extreme situations, I had been forced to take control, though I avoid it whenever I can. I had my own dreams, my own aspirations. So I started, slowly at first. But I began to build my own life though I had to keep my identity to all but a very few trusted individuals. Most would never accept me as Dan. Michael and I came to an understanding. We both agreed Dandy could not know that I She would have trouble living with the things I'd done and would have to do in the future. And I also reached out to Draven as well. He is far too powerful and intelligent to not figure out the truth or meddle in my business at some point. We worked out a deal, as you will. And so that brings us to the now. There's much more to tell. I'm sure you have some questions. Now would be time. So those three incidents have always been the three it was after that that the rose first started popping up in the story after they finally killed draven's brother and draven had gone back to his home world that's when the black rose first started to pop up in the story and as a storyteller i was always wondering if somebody would put those two events together they were right after each other but no one's ever, ever, at least to my knowledge, linked them or asked me if they're linked in any way. And so that worked out pretty well. Michael, of course, more than anyone, is going to know two things. Number one, he's going to know differences when Dandy and Rose. More than anybody else, he knows Dandy. Right? You could tell when someone different 
Thank you. Rose is a very different person. She doesn't have the, I guess you'd say, any of the kinder uh, quirks. Talk fast or ramble in stories. In many ways, she's more human than anything. But on top of that, Menandra knew. And I just don't think there's a way that Menandra would not give that information. Michael merged. And again, it, it could even be believed that when they merged, she couldn't keep that from them even if they wanted to. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of those things where uh, she has to give up part of herself when she joins with Michael as well. They're, they're soul. Um, but she began living her own life, doing her own things. And that's when we started to see events happen. It wasn't too, too long after that uh, when Ventolio made himself aware for the first time and found out that it was a thorn of the rose one of the first popped up. Up until very recently, the, the only one we, we knew of for sure. Although he had mentioned that there were others. In that first conversation with Mercy that they had in her keep, he said, I am one of her thorns. Always been implied that there were more out there. So Michael had to live with that, right? Michael's going to have to live with this knowledge and the knowledge of what Rose is, and more importantly, what Rose does. Rose is known to be ruthless, violent at times. Very intelligent, but so is Dandy. They share a lot of those same traits. You can imagine that she has all the physical abilities, everything from the pickpocketing to the move silently. That's her second nature as well, because at that point they're sharing instincts. Which, um, and you'll remember at that time when I mentioned... Menandra and Dandy, that that's when Dandy first learned that it feeds off of hate and anger, and, and that's, and it always hurts to wield Menandra. Michael's always in pain when he's wielding Menandra. That's part of the merging. Um, but it made sense to me, right? Rose is, is a purpose born of those emotions. Um, that she would be basically a lifetime of that all stored up in one person. And when that person joined with Menandra and given Dandy's physical skills, uh, that's why she drastically exceeded anything that Michael ever achieved with Menandra. And to be honest, Rose would be better with Menandra than Dandy would. Because Dandy doesn't have that fear and stuff. She has, I mean, everybody has this, um, that pain, that anger, that hatred. She has all the same memories of that, what caused Rose. But Rose literally has been what's kept it from Dandy, dissipating it. But you got to understand, it doesn't always dissipate. I dissipates the word I chose, but basically it holds onto it until it fades. Like your anger fades, or your hatred fades over time. That's kind of what I, I put in there, but she retains some of it. Um, and sometimes when there's so much at once, she takes as much as she can. I, I mentioned that a moment ago but it breaks a little bit of who they are. Some of that ekes out, and that's kind of what, what never, ever gets dissipated. It's now part of them. And it's still more a part of Rose, but Rose no longer has the ability to fade that out. Nor can, you know, from a timeline, I, I like to picture it as a, a, a jug of water, right? You got a jug that's half full. Somebody pours a cup into that. Leave it out in the sun. Eventually, it'll start to dissipate. Dry up. 
Somebody puts more water in, does it again. But some takes a bucket and pours that into there. Water's going to spill that. And over time, if more is being poured in than has time to go away, it's going to keep getting fuller and fuller, more and more overflow. And that's kind of how I, how I, I put that together. Multiple personalities call it, yes. Emotional, each thing gains self-awareness. Very much so. Very much so. So, this part I'm going to tell you is not as much in the conversation they're having, but it's, it's me drawing you one point towards a moment where we were telling the story and it was Rose and not really Dandy that you were dealing with. Um, and it might explain that moment a little bit better, even though it's not coming up in the conversation of these two ladies. As someone who's heard the story, you guys, it's going to make a bit more sense to you. And that was the moment when Serenity was being attacked by the army of undead and Dandy slash Rose comes running up and she sees Petal has merged with Menandra. Dandy knows what Menandra feeds on and the pain and the he knows that. But Rose even more so knows what it was capable of doing and how it, it was the final fracture of Dandy's mind. And it mortified her that Petal could even in the slightest way have something like that happen to her. And that's why she freaked out so badly when Petal was holding Menandra. That, in that moment, as Dandy came running up, Dandy became Rose. Rose took over in, in the, to run up and knock it from her hand kind of thing. And why she was very pissed at Michael that she got that that pedal ever ever picked him. Uh, so that was one moment when in the story it was Rose we were dealing with, not not. Find out the truth of them. That's also possible as well. It's a great point, Michael. If we go by the concept that maybe Menandra can't help but keep that. Thought is how much did they merge? I mean, Petal wasn't out there whipping it around. She'd picked it up in her hair. Her little piggy tail top knots were just starting to rise and she was starting to merge with it. Does she know? Did she know? Something to consider as well. But there's nothing that, that Rose especially would hate to see more is have what happened to Dandy. I mean, Rose the person, but still doesn't want that to happen to her daughter. Why give her that split? So... Andy and Artemis are chatting, of course, or Rose and Artemis are chatting. Rose is the name she took for herself. Again, Rose Dandelion. Very worried somebody might put that together, but to my knowledge, it never happened. Rose Dandelion Petal. I mean, I'm very flower-themed in this. Um, and that was probably the most potential obvious clue to all of it that I put in there. Um, but again... If anyone ever did figure that out, no one ever mentioned it. So, uh, I, I think that slipped under the radar relatively well. Um, so, as they're talking Artemis, they discuss some of these same time periods. They start talking, you know, Artemis is going to ask that. When has there been times that I've been speaking to you and not Dandy and not known it? And Rose is like, yes, there has, though very few. Um, she's always there. I'm a, there is, uh, she doesn't sleep per se, but she does rest her mind, although she can never go fully 
subconscious. That's why she almost always knows everything Dandy knows. And in this conversation, Artemis realizes that means you know who the man in the hat really is. Yes, I was there for that. Artemis is like, and yet you still continue to tell Draven that you're helping to look for him in exchange for keeping who you are and keeping him out of your dealings. And Rose is like, yes, worked perfectly well. She's like, yeah, I know who he is. I know his deacon, and I'm not going to tell him. Why would I? It's working well for me. I'm winning on every angle of this. You know, and Rose isn't saying it like Rose is very serious to the point. She may smirk or smile once in a while, even give a chuckle, but she she's a very serious person. But she's like, yes, in fact, it's worked out very well for me in the long. And Artemis is again. You can imagine while this is happening, putting all of these things together. And she's like, okay. And then she stops for a moment, and her eyes kind of open and wide. She goes, that means it was you. Rose is like, honestly interested. Hmm? Deacon said that there was someone else at that tower that none of us realized were there. And it was that person who took the crystal dagger. Rose is like, ah. yes. You took it. Yes. Again, even then I knew the what was going on in Draven, and while we thought he may be dead, at the same time, I'm someone who likes to make sure I have a little insurance. But yeah, I stashed that away. Dandy didn't know that, and I was able to use my control over Dandy to uh, not let her find it on the jury home. On the jury home. She goes, you still have it? She goes, it's well hidden. Although, I guess, knowing what we do of the future, at some point, I would be providing it to either you or Deacon myself, I can assume. Though, not yet. I've been approached in such a way that... The Rose is the one who has the missing crystal dagger that is full of Draven blood, which, per the prophecy, is the one thing that could feasibly kill Seraph. It also means one other important thing. That at this very moment, in Merged Worlds, there are two of that dead. This has one. Deacon. Older Deacon has one. Brought back with him. Didn't get, If Rose is saying she still has it, she hasn't given it to him. He didn't get it after he came back. He brought it back with him. So there are two of them in play. Two daggers, both filled with Draven's blood. Think about it. So, again, they're... Oh, what's in here? Uh, it's funny because I always thought that Dandy was the one who picked it up until you mentioned that from the man in the hat conversation. Right, right. And and I think that... Uh, and, and if I remember correctly, the young lady who uh, who played Dandy asked, did, I, did Dandy take it? And I'm like, no, Dandy never took it. You don't have to worry about that. Dandy didn't take it. And she's like, oh, okay. I wasn't lying. Dandy didn't take it. Dandy had no idea it was there. And I've been able to use that on a, on a couple different situations to my benefit. Um, but um, 
there are several times throughout the past. She says there are times I spoke to you when I thought I was speaking to Dandy and times when you've been there with us and Dandy's been not. And Rose, yes, there's been there's been some. Um, I can tell you a few of the primary ones and um, one of the earliest ones is when they were traveling on the quest to get Michael's salt back. The Menander was broken. If you'll remember, twice Dandy had to tell the tale of Michael and why he was worth everything they were going through. Had to tell it to the dwarves in Corman. And it was her telling that story um, that convinced the dwarves to help. Also had to tell the story in Santriel with the elves. Help won the elves over. Both of those times when I did that, I specifically made points to say Dandy told the story in a way that Dandy didn't even seem herself. She was serious. She didn't ramble on. She went very clear with the important things that someone would need to know and was very factual and did not ramble on as a kender normally would. I said that in both of those situations. And because it was Rose who understood the importance of those moments and that they had to convince these people while Michael needed help. And Rose says at this point, I wanted to save Michael as much as Andy did, for several reasons. Number one, Michael means a lot to me too. While I don't feel the love that Dandy does, and I have never lain with the man. Clarifies that. Her and Michael have never done the dirty. I've never lain with him. There are moments that I gave Dandy's mind completely to her own. But Michael has been there for me this whole ordeal. He has kept the secret. And he's always been there to help to Dandy. Because he agrees 100% as well. Dandy knowing this could, I mean, Dandy dealing with issues like this is what caused Rose to imagine. Now imagine if she went through that again without Rose to take that. Right? Rose is how Dandy dealt with the horrible stuff she had to go through, which is way more than what the average Kender would normally have to deal with. And that's why this doesn't happen with all Kender. We all have that little voice in the back of our mind that hints and tells us, don't pick that up, you've eaten too many cookies, whatever the case is. It's still us. It's our little speaking to ourselves. It's us chatting to ourselves. Everybody has that. But Dandy had to go through so much in such a relatively short period of time that was so against her natural instincts that it was enough to shatter her mind. Uh, let's see. Uh, Awkward says, imagine finding Chris Dagger in your cleavage, which you never put there. That'd be funny. Especially one covered in blood. Uh, Michael says, yes, I do remember that her storytelling was very unkender-like. I made a point of doing that. That was, that was one of the first times in the adventure that Rose fully popped out. And when we were playing it, I ran Dandy, not in a, not in a horrible way, but I was like, it's like I was taking control of the character, but we're playing and I'm like, okay, and this is what's happened. And they ask Dandy for the story and Dandy tells the story and she's very serious to the point. And while she's doing that, Dan, young lady playing Dandy's like, okay, cool. That sounds good. Great. And then they went on from there, never in that moment realizing, hey, you didn't give me a choice in that matter. You just told me what I did. That's because you didn't do it. But I did it in an obvious, in a, in a hidden way enough that they never questioned it at the time. It worked out well. 
Um, when they were on Darstopia for the Darstopian games, and they had pedal with them, and it was Dandy was feeling very protective. In fact, I even commented that Dandy felt afraid of something, and it was creeping her out. That's when they decided to get everybody back through the portal and stuff. And Dandy was acting strangely with Petal, very protective, unkender like. People even made the comment, but I thought Kender couldn't feel fear. I'm like, well, you know, fear for others, and I played it off. And then when she was frozen in fear, staring at the man in the hat, who at the time she did not know was Deacon. Man in the hat was just as scary to her as it was anyone else. Dandy doesn't feel fear, but Rose does. Rose has no immunity to fear like Dandy does. Feeling it is what she does. In that moment, it was Rose who was trying to protect Petal, that motherly instincts. And that's an important part of this thing as well, because as she's telling this story and she's talking about Michael, Petal, while I, he means a lot to me too, I consider him a friend and a confidant, I don't love him, but he's still the father of my child. Artemis is taken back a little bit. Your child. Rose goes, Petal is as much mine as she is dandy. Grew within the both of us. I too went nine months. I, too, went through the pain. That's not something we're going to be able to separate our minds from completely. And remember, hers was a troubled, right? Remember that? Petal had a difficult birth, partially because of this situation. Though I never gave specifics as to what the issues were, just that it was a hard birth. And Rose it sees Petal 100% as her daughter, too. This is not, not more than Dandy. But completely. Um, and she is quite clear the fact that I've never revealed myself to Petal. Just with Kendra's normal nature. And it's not that I don't trust my daughter, but I can't take the chance that you guys or her friends or Dandy might accidentally figure it out based on something she's saying. I can't take that. To protect my daughter, you must never know that I exist. You must understand that's a horrible feeling. Uh, Awkward Minister says, so is this what happened to all afflicted Kendra? It's what I imagined it happened. Uh, in the actual Dragonlance uh, of Fifth Edition, afflicted Kendra are Kendra who lost some of their happiness and, and so on and so forth, became more paranoid after uh, some very horrible stuff happened with the Fifth Age of Dragonlance. And it was never described as that, but that's kind of how I've always pictured it. Someone who's been through so much that their normal nature breaks. But I don't think anywhere in actual Dragonlance that happened. But it was my view of it. Good connection, by the way. So, Petal is hers. She loves Petal. Doors Petal. She dotes on her as much as Dandy does. So you can imagine how protective she would be. Again, like when she came running out and saw Petal merged with Anandra. He's merged a lot and merged with don't I? Oh, funny. <laughs> but yes. Um, let me see. So that was another situation. Here's a more recent one. 
Um, but in the most recent adventure for the Prime characters, when they were going to help the Drow, you'll remember that there was a dude who was like the bad guy was sitting on a chair and Dandy was sitting in front of him. And at one point she just reaches out with her knife and just slits his throat right in front of her. And he just, she just sat there emotionless watching him die. He was dead. She nodded, put her knife away, walked out of the tent. That was Rose. Made a point of stating how it shocked her friends. It was very undandy-like. He's so brutal. That was 100% a Rose moment. A more recent one. And I put that one as more obvious because I knew I was building to a point that even though technically this is years later, many years later, um, I knew our time, story-wise, we were getting to it soon. I needed to, I needed to start showing a little bit more escalation. Uh, it's another reason why I started bringing around that adventure is also when I started bringing Cat into the mix with Tevin. Which, it'll be fun to see where that goes now that we know, right? Uh, but yes, it was, that's when I started bringing Cat in more because I was trying to bring her in in a way that, maybe not everybody, but many people would start to believe she was the Rose and I just haven't brought her out yet. And then when Ventolia meets up with her, that kind of cemented it for everybody. It's like, oh, she's, he's checking in with the boss. It's not the case. He's, he's checking in with someone on the same level, a partner, uh, fellow employee, co-worker. Probably. Um, so I started escalating this storyline. And I was wondering you know, why people, you know I mean, I, I worried that people might wonder why I was doing it then. Um, and that's why I wanted, because I knew I was building up to this point in the story. It was time for Cat to, because Cat had made one cameo appearance. And that was the time when the men were crucified and lit in a fire in front of Serenity Keep. She went back to her room and she recognized a woman she didn't know who left the little silver thing on her desk with a black rose and a little note that said, Not in my city. That was from the Black Rose. It was me. Uh... Let me see. Do the, here, some questions just popped up here. Do the thorns know that Rose is Dandy? They think she's just Rose. No, 100% they know who she is. She, she, they know all about that. Because again, you got to remember that Dandy's a celebrity, right? Even though she's not anyone with power, she is the best friend of the queen and the head of the temple. Right? In Serenity, she's been the one who's helped save their lives. She's one of the founding people who saved them at the beginning. Way back in Moonbrook Drift. She was one of those people that is a, a known person in the city. So, a thief in that city could not talk to her as Rose and not know that's Dandy. So, it's important that they know. In fact, I have this written down. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Michael says, that did work with Kat because until then I, I did think it was Dandy. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I'm glad I was able to swipe it away. Um, but actually in the story, I mentioned that down. She says, so they know. And she goes, yes. Other than myself and now you, there are six people in the entire world who know that I 
exist as a person. To everyone else, they've never seen me. They know I'm out there. Those six people are Draven and Michael, obviously. Her three thorns and one other person, Rose declines to name now. So from that, we have all learned that there is a third thorn and one other person. But she doesn't go into any more detail than that. And Artemis doesn't ask because it's quite clear from the way Rose says it. And that's all you're going to know about this. Yeah, these people know this person, this person, and someone else. That's kind of a, and obviously I could have just said his name, or someone Artemis would have no idea who it is. Sure. One other person somewhere in the world. And this leads Artemis into asking about the thorns. The thorns serve you. They know who you are. They trust you. You obviously have to trust them, which in this situation, you didn't even trust us. And you can't trust your daughter. Trust Michael because you know you can trust him. You trust Draven because the deal you've worked out, he thinks you're able to give him something nobody else potentially can. And I can tell you, Rose has been sliding rumors and I learned, heard of this. He was sighted in this city kind of thing. What not? I've heard very little. Have you heard anything new? Yeah, I heard that he was sighted in Fire Moon or he was sighted over there. Just enough to keep him on the hook and let, him, let her know you know, Cat pops up eventually and goes, I'm to give you this message. He's been sighted in the city of Paxawal. Raven's like, gotta go. You know? So he had to know, because she knew he'd figure it out. Because you'd imagine in a city like this, especially as Serenity was still growing and the Rose was starting to run her business, someone like Draven could start, if he really wanted to get involved with his senses and smells, Right? He's like, why does Dandy always smell like a sewer? I mean, you know, things like that. He would put things together. And she realized that just because of his heightened senses and how eventually Mercy might be like, hey, can you try to find out who it is? And without any reason not to, he could be like, yeah, I'm happy to help you out. This is clearly a person who's causing trouble. Rose had to cut that off early. Rose is very smart. That's why she had to deal with Draven almost immediately upon Draven returning home. Fact, that conversation happened while everyone else was asleep the day before they went to go try to save Michael. Like, I got to tell you, this this has to be dealt with right now. So when she came to Draven, Draven's like, oh, it's it's Dandy. And then Dandy says, like, two sentences, and, and Draven's like, you are not Dandy. <laughs> She's like, you are correct. Let's talk about this. Or no, it wasn't that. I'm sorry, it's when they returned from that adventure. I apologize, because it was right after the man in the hat popped in. I'm sorry, the man in the hat was at the end of that adventure. I'm blowing my own timeline there. It was when they came back from that adventure, and then the hat happened, and then that conversation happened immediately after, within, immediately like within a time period where before the next adventure. Going off my own timeline, having a hard time remembering some of this stuff sometimes. So the rose, or the thorns know who she is. They're the only people that she trusts. And remember, near the end of the last episode, she asked Kat why, and goes, because I owe her everything. Are you afraid of her more than any other person? Artemis is going to bring that up. Why 
do you trust these people and why did they serve you? And Rose says, for each of them, one way or another, I've saved their lives, given them chance or a reason. I've provided them something no one else could. And so they are indebted to me, much by choice. And so much so that I know that I can trust them to a point, because Rose doesn't trust anybody completely. Except maybe Petal. <laughs> um, so, the combination of that, and she says that to, she goes, well, you know, yeah, uh, Pat had mentioned that you, you know, she owed you everything. And Rose is like, well, her story is hers to tell. But I will say this much. When I found her, she was trapped into a life that could only be described as a living hell. I gave her her life back. And now that life. Matter-of-factly, more details, gave her her life back. Implying that the other two thorns are probably the same way in one way or another. They each have their own story that, yes, eventually I figure I plan on telling, but it's not now. There'll, there'll be reasons when those stories come out. But yeah, it, it, why the thorns and who the third thorn is, obviously I'm not telling you that today. Uh, all that will come out down the road. I, I, I fully expect to tell their stories in more detail, but it's going to happen at times, specific times, that works with why they'd have a reason to, to let that out. Um, so, not going to hear those today. But they do exist. I know them. Exactly what happened and why they do what they do. And I will be bringing that up. Um, I take the hat off so you wouldn't guess that Draven's the man of the hat. I've always been the man of the hat. Actually, Deacon's the man. Alright. What else we got here? Let's talk about some more stuff. Um, make sure I didn't miss anything. Three. One mystery person doesn't tell anybody. Oh, here's another big point. Here's another huge plot point from the past that was a Rose moment. It was Rose who saw Perrin and little tiny Dina in the kingdom of Firemoon. And that's why the Emperor was trying to get that information from them in their dreams. And yet none of them knew who it was who saw it. It was that wall between Dandy's mind and Rose's mind that only Rose seems to have a key to get through. It keeps Dandy kept on her side, but Rose can go back and forth. It was her that kept that hidden from Dandy, even in the dreams, to keep that, because she knew who he was looking for. Rose did. But in the dreams, it was pulling Dandy in. Rose had no control in the dreams. It was Dan. She could hear it. She could see it. She could hold on to that information and not let it out. But it was Rose who saw them in Firemoon while doing rogue stuff. And that's why Dandy didn't know that. But Rose did. That's why they didn't know that. So that was another big previous story point. That was a whole storyline that no one even knew why that was until the very end. And many people 
at the end believed, okay, it, he must be looking for his daughter, right? That even came up in conversation with you, the audience and such. Uh, people figured out that's probably the information he's looking for. And one of them must have seen her somewhere. So there was that. Uh, yes, she took it. Now, Artemis, of course, asks, she goes, why a thieves' guilt? Why this? As a new person, have access to the world for the first time, you're walking out of this a full adult, with skills and abilities, why this path? Done anything. The cleric. And Rose is quite open and honest and sincere when she says, uh, I was born of hate and fear. Was the obvious part. He's got those hangs up. He's got those hang ups, right? He's that type of she in many ways feels more than Dandy does. Same emotions, but with the other ones, Dandy doesn't really do that. And when Dandy does have those type of emotions, even now it's Rose who takes the brunt of that to keep it off of Dandy's plate. Um, with the skills she has, as ruthless as she can be, she doesn't have that, she doesn't have as much a conscious. The, the conscience is another part of Dandy's mind. Rose doesn't really mess with that. that doesn't have that. There's very little, if nothing, that she's unwilling to do if she needs to. But there is one rule that I've been very clear about. Rose does not tolerate in her cities. I say cities because I've already made it known that the Rose has now taken over the Thieves' Guild in the Kingdom of Firemoon. Or when the kids were there, there was a war going on. It was... Rose, who at that time was taking over another city's thieves' guild, so now that of the known world, she is currently the most powerful thieves' guild leader. She technically runs two major cities worth, and only a handful of people knows who she is. So there's that. Um, but the but thieving and things like that, it, it made sense. That was the path that she felt pulled to. Again, part of that thing of Dandy could never live with the things I've ha I've done, we've done, and the things I will do in the future. When I was doing the Drow storyline, an adventure or so back, there was a moment when Dandy and Michael were sitting at the table, and Michael didn't want Dandy to go up north. And during that conversation, I did my best to work in that every time Dandy spoke, she referred to herself as we. But it was in there well enough that we could also be taken for a character's. We've decided this is what we're going to do, whether you agree it or not. This is what we have decided. And most people are going to think, oh, it's her and Darsh and Mercy and Artemis, but she didn't. He was talking to Rose at the time. Well, I'm getting back to the one rule. Bear with me. I'm getting back to that. But, but I, again, it's one of those things where it's the we. They refer to the we all the time. 
But the one the reason I bring that all around, right? Is we she tells me the one big rule that I've always had is she does not allow any type of violence to children. Right? Remember me mentioning that? Well known that you do not mess with kids in her city. One of the one of the one of the parts I mentioned in the past, where the, those three guys got crucified and burned in front, of, not in my city. It's because those three men's ripped apart a family, including their kids, and it was. I made a point of not going into details, but saying it was it was very violent. Does not tolerate that, not even a little bit, and that links completely to the Kender city. The thought of, of a child being harmed, all she can picture is that little Kender girl who died in her arms. She cannot have that. And it is, it is well known. You don't even pickpocket a kid. You do not mess with kids in this city unless you want to find your entrails strung out on the city streets. Because she'll do it personally. 99.9% of the time, if you get to see the rose, it's because she's about to kill you. She's not one to send somebody in to do it for her. Make sure it gets done correctly. No one will put the fear in them before they die like Rose will. Never are you allowed to mess with kids. And that, that, that part of that, where I've mentioned it several times over the storylines, where everyone knows the Rose doesn't tolerate that, that has always been linked to the Kender Village. That's the whole reason she has that rule. Dandy, of course, wouldn't have, but Rose, even so, that's just a, if someone walked in and said a kid just got smacked across the head, in her mind, she's going to see a dead kid or kid. She's like, where? You know, not going not to see that. Can't have that. There's absolutely no tolerance for that. So that directly links to the first incident that caused Rose uh, to, to be. I wanted to mention that for sure. Let's see here. She also, when talking about the path, like she, I'm, I, the Thieves Guild thing, she goes, I'm a very ambitious person. I know what I'm looking for. I know what kind of life I want to leave, and I know what my capabilities are to get it. Um, but I have not, nor will I ever, do anything to harm you or the others. By the others, Darsh, see, practically dandy, Artemis. They're kids. I'm never going to do that. I consider you all friends, though most of you, none of you really know I exist. You're important to Dandy. So you are important to me. So, or done anything to directly mess with Mercy. Yeah, I mean, obviously Mercy's kingdom, sure, but never anything to harm Mercy or any of her knights, anyone who'd be important to Mercy. Rose could have probably had all the knights assassinated in one night if she really needed to. Doesn't do that. Because she considers those friends, and she doesn't want to do anything to harm them. Mess with their kingdoms a little bit. By making the promise that she would not allow criminal activity on the temple was super easy for her to make. That Draven brings that, and you got to promise you never do any. Okay, I was not going to let that happen anyways. But sure, that's fine. We can make that a rule. You know, you feel like you're getting something out of that. Okay, sure, in her head, right? Not going to let it happen. <clears throat> So Rose didn't stop Michael that night. She was doing Rose stuff, and Michael lied to Dandy. Yes, that's exactly correct. Great, great bringer, Bachelor. And I'm, I'm, I was getting into that. We'll do that now. Yes, that's exactly correct. She had just 
handled one of the situations we just discussed and was on her return, was heading home. She was dressed covered in blood when Dandy woke up. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. So Artemis is going to ask, okay, now that I know all this, you've shared all this with me, why now? What has changed? Why after all this time am I sitting here learning all about this today? Artemis is a student. Something's changed. What's going on? And Rose answers her. Petal's gone. The worry and concern that both Dandy and Rose share is too alike. And it's only growing. It's being harder for Rose to separate that feeling from the same feeling that Dandy's feeling. It's just too in sync. And as such, it's starting to break that wall. And it's, for the first time, letting Dandy not so much push Rose back beyond the wall, but trying to move into that as well. Rose is the source of taking that pain and anguish. Dandy can't throw that pain and worry and anguish to her if Rose is already dealing with the same thing herself. And so this emotion is trying to get through that wall to where it's supposed to go for Rose, and Rose just can't take it. And it's smashing against that wall, causing it to crack. As such, there are times when Dandy is taking control back without realizing it. Especially if in that moment, Rose is worrying about Petal. She may have just gone off and slain some dude because, you know, messing with a kid for whatever reason. Someone stole some of her supply or whatever she felt was important enough to get involved herself. Spending a few hours teaching him that lesson and then killing him. He's, she's on her way home. And in that moment, she sees a place where maybe she watched Petal play one day. She was a kid. She has that flashback. Now she's starting to worry about Petal. And that emotion is so strong and real that it's waking Dandy up as well because Dandy shares that. And so that's what's caused the issue. The wall is breaking. And the stress is causing it. And it's, that wall is what keeps their minds separate. Dandy is waking when she couldn't. And if it continues, the wall may crumble. And if that happens, Dandy will then know about Rose. Not only will she know about Rose, she'll very likely know everything Rose has ever said, seen, heard, or done. Such a thing would be catastrophic. It would be too much for her. Artemis, that's why I need you. There is a spell. Very powerful spell. Only clerics can cast. Has the ability to split person's mind. Matching that, Artemis is like, <gasps> speaking of that, as well as, a, how do you know about that? It's a very kind of thing, right? Right? It's like, <gasps> Artemis goes, I know of the spell you speak, though I have never cast it. It's meant to block off thoughts and parts of a mind for those who are insane or inflicted, hearing voice, things like that. Because you, know, you understand, they don't... Patience. 
right? I mean, common sense, they just don't have that. So it's like, I can, you, you, you're hearing these things, it's making you do bad stuff, but you're really good. For, that part of you, we can lock it away. Cast this spell to lock that part of you behind and entrap it so that you can live your life positively. But she says that spell is incredibly, incredibly intrusive. And there is much risk. Instead of building the wall you speak of, it, in, again, like has happened to you, shatters the mind. It literally can wipe their mind, blow their mind, make them go crazy. The side effect or negative effect, if the spell doesn't go through correctly, can also be catastrophic to them. It is incredibly dangerous. Very rarely used. Because if someone's just evil, you don't cast it on them. But if someone's mind is cracked from stress or uh, something bad that happened to them kind of thing, or in this type of world, magic, right? Some type of creatures messed with their mind, mind control. Uh, mind flayers or elithids would be a great example. You were captured by the elithid. You've been a slave in elithid city for years until someone saved you or you managed to escape and your mind is just... And now you wake up, scream every second of the day, you're freaking out because all you can see is elithids and brains and all that kind of stuff. Something like that, right? So in those moments, it's meant for that, to help people who are more victims who are being affected by it. Not because, oh, you're a serial killer, we want to make you forget that part. Hell no, that was a choice. You're an evil prick. The courts can deal with you. Or the the kings, the gods of truth, whatever the case may be. That's that's not where this type of spell gets. And it's this is primarily a healing spell. So it's why Artemis would have that ability. Rose says to her, she goes, I know the dangers of this spell. I honestly feel it's the only chance that we have to fix this. Artemis is clearly bothered by this. It's like, you may know the dangers. Dandy doesn't. You would have me lie to her to be able to cast this spell. Want me to lie to my friend about the danger I'd be putting her into so that she cannot know what I now know. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask of a person. And Rose genuinely looks sad for just a moment, just a little bit of sad, a tiny bit. I know I'm asking much, but we have to do this in Dandy's best interest. We see, Artemis, if Dandy were to know that I, she were able to see our memories shared, it could break her even worse than she's broken now. Or worse, I think you'll understand. She would want to be rid of me destroy me or get rid of me or whatever the case may be. I love Dan. Means the world to me. But I also love being alone. My own life. I don't want to lose that. Stand. I cherish my life as anyone else. And I would do whatever I have to, whatever it takes. And therein becomes the crux of it. 
in a fight between Dandy and Rose, who would win? Of course, it's going to depend on a lot of factors. What kind of fight? What's going on? In the brain? Is it physical? What's the situation? But, oh, sorry, Panda. Sorry. I, sometimes when I whisper, it gets quiet. <laughs> but she, uh, she's like, I'll do anything I can. Protect my own life, as anyone would. She's not threatening Artemis or even threatening Dandy. And Artemis sitting here can see she doesn't want to go down that path. She's willing to take the chance. For all she knows, this spell could destroy Rose. It's possible. But she feels it's the best chance that she has of getting to keep her life and letting Dandy keep her. Because if it does come to a situation where there can be only one of them, not that I'm pulling a Highlander quote here or anything, Rose will fight to win. Protect what is hers. And that's not good for anybody. So, Artemis takes a moment. Rose is quiet, lets her ponder. Artemis, yes. I will do this. I believe you and you genuinely say you care for Dandy's safety. And I agree that I think you have her and your best interest at heart in this situation. It's not an easy spell and I've never cast it. I'll need a few days to prepare. There will be some material components I'll have to access. I can get them. It's not like it's hard. It's just going to take me at least a few days to get this all put together. And, of course, we still have to set up how we're going to get Dandy to the temple, because it's going to have to be done on the temple grounds. And Rose is like, that's not going to be a problem. Not an issue. She's already wanting, she's already began reaching out to you about the trouble she has. And she has. Artemis is aware that she's having hard sleepwalking and stuff, but she doesn't know about the stabbed Michael, but he used a healing potion to hide it. Doesn't know that yet, but she's like, yeah, she's going to be reaching out for your help. All you have to say is, yes, there's a spell that could help you. You're having, you're just probably worried because of Petal, but there's a spell I can do. You just come to the temple, you'll lay down, you'll get some, you'll take some rest, and then when you wake up, you'll be fine. And then at that point, you'll probably be very tired. You'll need to get some extra sleep. You may find yourself sleeping a little more. But, you know, you should be okay. I'm just like, okay, that'll work. Especially since Michael's a part of this. And Michael's like, oh yeah, I'm going to take you there, cast this ball. I think that's a great idea. You know, Dandy's already now afraid she's hurt Michael. Who else could she hurt? You can imagine the back, when Petal came home. Actually hurt Petal. I mean, that's the stress she's dealing with now. Everything comes back to that. And they don't know what she's in, where she is right now. Where is Petal? What's she in the middle of? Is she even alive at this point? Have they found Seraph? Have they instead found a danger that was too much for them? They have no idea. You gotta imagine, that's gotta be the worst part, right? Two people worried about Petal, Rose and Dandy, and neither of them have any idea where she is. Or even if she's alive at this moment. And that's the thought, thoughts like that, that keep messing with this wall in her mind. Rose says, so definitely take the time you need. You know, we can, we can get that set up. That's not a problem. And then, uh, but as soon as you're ready, let us know. We will get there. We'll get this taken care of. And then hopefully things can get back to normal. 
And Artemis looks at her and raises her eyebrow and she goes, does any of this sound normal to you? <laughs> Even Artemis is like, are you serious? This sounds normal to you? And for the first time, Rose genuinely smiles and says, well, as normal as it's ever been. Now, it's at this point that they have to have kind of the finale of this conversation. They have to discuss some of the more important points about the future. Rose stresses, Artemis, you can't tell anyone of this. You're going to want to. You're going to hear about things that have happened, hear about things that I have done or people have done on my behalf, and you're going to want to be involved. You're going to want to tell people, but you can't tell anyone. Most especially, Mercy. Cannot know. Dandy's safety as well as our own. Because again, Mercy is, of all of them, the one person who might be willing to go to war with Dandy slash Rose. Right? Mercy has a kingdom to protect. She has people to take care of. And if she found out that even one of her best friends was the one causing all this trouble, we try to lock her up, whatever, but you can't lock up a kender for long. It doesn't work that way. No one wants Mercy to ever get into that position. So it's why it's imperative no one knows, because if it ever gets back to Mercy, all hell will break loose. Artemis doesn't like that, but she 100% agrees. Yeah. Mercy would, Mercy will do what she has to to save her people. And Dandy, who's one of her people. So, they talk some of the details about how they'll arrange it, how Michael will so on and so forth, uh, get Dandy there. She'll receive a message from Dandy. You'll send a message inviting her to the temple. We'll talk to her for a minute, say, yes, there's a spell I can cast. It'll just take me a day or two to get ready, and then come on back. We'll get this all taken care of. Dandy will feel relieved. Gotta sell this, Artemis. And Artemis like, trust me, I can sell this. I'm, I've got experience selling lots of things. Don't worry about it. Artemis, Artemis sometimes had a cocky behavior about the silliest things. This people, oh, I can, I'm going to take care of it. Trying to look tough in front of Rose. Rose like, okay. Finally, after they work out all the details, everything's pretty much done. They just sit there for a second in silence before uh, Rose is like, I thank you for speaking with him. Cat is waiting for you in the next room. She'll return you to Draven. You're home safely. I do appreciate you coming and meeting me this evening. I know that it was unconventional, unconventional and not something you thought you would be doing. So thank you. Artemis stands up awkwardly like do I say goodbye? Like, yeah, Artemis is in my like, I'm talking to Rose. How would I say goodbye to Rose? Like, kind of dealing with that stuff. Artemis like, okay, bye. And turns around and goes to leave. And as she's about to walk back into the shadows towards the door where she came from, she stops for just a moment. Artemis turns back. She says, will we speak again?
And Rose looks at her and goes, hopefully not. Not ever. It's best that way. It's best that you, Artemis, have the less experience or the less dealings in my world as possible. For yours and Dandy's safety. The less you know, the less you're involved, the better it's going to be for you and your own family. This isn't a threat. It's just a common sense thing. The more you know, the harder it is going to be that stuff secret. I just don't want you involved with that. You still mean something to me. Not as much as you probably mean to Dandy, but you do. Says, but should there be some type of an extreme emergency, you do need to speak with me. Go to Michael. He knows how to reach me. Artemis nods. And uh, says that I have to tell you, thank you. Thank you to you and your friends for everything you've ever done for Dandy. Love, the support, danger you put yourself in, the sacrifices you've made. He doesn't say his part, but it's implied, you know, dangerous sacrifices and sacrifice of hanging out with the Kender. I appreciate that. It means more to me than you could ever imagine. Thank you for that. Artemis nods again and then turns and leaves, and a moment later, <clears throat> the door closes, so Artemis is left. Rose sits there at the table. Sip of her drink sets it back down. Just a moment later, another figure steps out of the shadows. Ventolio steps up and sits down in the chair Artemis has just recently vacated. Can we trust her to keep this silent? As you know, my, my trust is rarely given. But her more than any of them, yes, I trust her to do what's best. You will keep this. The fact that Draven knows, and it's something that at least they can speak of now. And real quick, I'm going to step back. There was one more thing I forgot to mention. One of the other things that they discussed before she left, Artemis asked her, what about the fact that we know we know who the man in the hat is? And Rose is like, I leave that up to you. I leave that up to you. If you, if you wish to tell him the truth at this point, I'm fine with that. I'm at a point now that I don't fear his uh, messing with my dealings at this point. At this point, she's a bit more confident in stuff. I'm not worried. He's not going to do something to hurt Dandy, and I'm not expecting him to mess with me, and I've got ways to deal with it if I have to. So yeah, if you want to tell him but mess up that whole deal thing, she's at this point, I don't care. Whatever you want. So that was something I did talk about. I just realized I had that bullet point. Somehow I skipped over it. Uh, Queen C, I just realized looking at the description of the video that I turned seven the year you first created this world. Wow, I feel old. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Been over 30 at this point. I started very first beginnings of Merge World. Inklings, mind you. Just the very basic concept of it was when I was 11. I turned... I have next month? 34 years at this point. <laughs> now I feel even older. <laughs> and to think, I'm still going with it. My God, will it never end. Hope not. 
But Vendelio says that. Can we trust her? Yes. Of all of them, the one I can't I trust more than any other. He just kind of nods and pours himself a glass of whatever wine they were drinking. He takes Artemis a glass and drinks from him. He's not worried about poison. We're in poison Artemis. Artemis is the one person you'd have a hard time poisoning. Natural healing and stuff inside of her would probably kick most of that to the curb. Um, so Ventura's sitting there, and Rose says, Now, as to the matter we discussed this morning, Ventolio, his face, you know, the, the smiling nod, like, ah, oh, goes a little bit more flat, like he's a little more concerned. She goes, As for the matter that we spoke of this morning, Have it dealt with immediately. We can't wait on that any longer. Choice has been made. Time to put that. Reach out to Firemoon Branch. Let them know what's happening. Helio nods, stands, bows. Kind of a flourished bow, but it's very much like flourished bow, and then turns and, and walks back into the shadows. And Rose just sits there, alone. The minimal light in this room. Lost, deep in thought. Planning. Plotting. Figuring out what she needs to do next. So many more things. Play now. So, I'll say from a story point of view, that's everything that I have for today. Again, I said I knew we'd get done a little bit early, but I didn't want to jump into just a snippet of the kids and just start with stuff and not get to continue. The next week, we'll be stepping back into the kids, plus a little something else. What else? You'll find out next time. Uh, all right, I've been in my teens. Okay, gotcha. Uh, the young at heart, right? Oh, I'm if we're young at heart, then I'm ancient. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm a goofball. You guys know that. Um, but yes, I guess uh, unlike many of the other things that I said, um, this would be a, a good opportunity for me to 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 say if you have any questions about this this storyline, character interactions, or things that have happened in the past, people reach out to me and check occasionally. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that mic thing. I apologize that the mic is cutting in and out. I have done three different things to try to fix it, and it doesn't happen when I'm live streaming in a regular stream 99% of the time. So I, I don't know why it's just in Merge Other than in Merge Worlds, I, have, I think I have a habit of getting quieter, especially when I'm reading, because in my mind I'm being serious, but I'm talking more conversationally than the loud and boisterousness that I do when I'm being silly on regular streams. So, uh, again, I apologize for the sound thing. I'm looking at... I have the money for the new microphone. Uh, you guys help. I've just been waiting on getting it because the prices were a little high. And it looks like they've dropped back down a little bit. So I think I may be ordering myself a new microphone here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and it's going to be one of the ones... You'll start seeing it on screen. It'll be on an arm and probably cover my face a little bit. But uh, it'll be one of the better ones that... Uh, that hopefully should should be a lot a lot better, a lot more clearer. Uh, the microphone I have right now is the only piece of my entire setup, with the exception of my speakers, uh, from before I even started streaming. Everything else I've replaced. So, um, 
that you can expect here in the next week or two. Uh, you'll see a new one. It'll probably have an arm coming up in front of my face. And you guys will have to look at this. I'm just kidding. I won't have it that high up to the side. But a lot of streamers have those. And I, I, from what I'm told, they're, it's just way better. Get it up close to my face. Get the pop filter on it so you don't hear all the noises as badly. Um, so hopefully that will help very much more for the audio podcast. I apologize for the quality. Sometimes it's not the best. But yeah, if you have any uh, questions about this, this is a, again, this here is one of the long, longest, I guess you could say, side storylines in Merge World's history. Um, in fact, it again, it, it all started around the same time as the prophecy of Seraphs. I mean, Draven already knew the prophecy. They dealt with that thought Daedalus, but... You know, she's been around for a long time. She took the crystal dagger. Rose has been with us since the fight with Daedalus. It's before Seraph, well, before Seraph was born. He'd already been conceived, but he was not born yet. So, been around for a lot. Yeah, I did want to stress very much so that she still sees Petal as her child. And Michael happens to be the father of her child, not her husband, not her lover. She, again, I, I want to stress her and Michael have never ever, because in Michael's eyes, he'd be cheating on Dandy. Just can't do that. And Rose just has no interest in him in that way. Here's an interesting question that Michael's never asked, but you got to think as he wondered, has Rose ever been with someone else? Michael does not know the answer to that question. And Michael does not ask that question because he knows Rose will answer him. Rose has no reason to lie to him. Let's see. So would Rose still get to operate with the spell or does it make the brain pick one of them? So the spell, if used this way, and this is this is, this is a merged worlds thing. It doesn't fall under most of that, but a lot of times the spells and stuff that I create because uh, this is a, this isn't a regular Dungeons and Dragons spell. It's a spell that I I created. I've had it for a while because it was always meant to be used for this. It's not something used that much. It's meant to build a wall for that same purpose. In this situation, it's going to be meant to rebuild the wall to strengthen it again, uh, give it stronger foundations, upgrading it from rock to cement, kind of a thing. Um, so. Artemis is going to be going into her mind. And when I say that, I mean like Artemis will be in her mind, literally stepping into her mind. For her, it's going to be a physical representation of that wall. You're going to see that in her mind and she's literally going to be there repairing cracks and stuff with magic. She's going into Dandy's mind, much like a surgeon might go into the brain, and is fixing the issues that she sees. Um, now, in the spell's original purpose, it was to build that wall, right? And the spell's original purpose builds a wall. But the representation of it in Rose's mind is it's a wall with a door. That It's a one-way door. Rose can go in and out through that door, but Dandy can't. Dandy's stuck on her side, but Rose has got the key. The danger for Rose is that door somehow gets locked. That's where he, she's having to trust Artemis a little bit. Because if Artemis was to say, smooth that door off and make it wall, Rose wants to live. She would eventually have no choice but to break her way through. And then they're back in the same situation they're in now. 
So there, that's where, again, where a lot of that trust would be. I'm not going to go through, we're not going to roleplay her doing the spell. Just That's how the, in my mind, the spell was designed and how it would work. Uh, let's see. Uh, Panda asks, I've been thinking about chaos magic and stuff while thinking of the Dandy Rose situation and where Petal got it. But it made me wonder in general, is chaos magic connected to Omniana somehow? Okay, great question. So the magic itself is wild magic. So um, wild magic, while is a chaotic force, um, kind of yes and no. It is something that was not created by Omniana, right? Or technically, it'd be Omnion, because Anyana is the goddess of order, so she wouldn't have been involved. But if Omnion created wild magic, um, my concept, my thought of magic, if you will, um, there's a god of magic. Talked about him. Delovian is the god of magic. And he didn't create magic. Magic's there. Magic is a force of its own. But he can, he, he does use his abilities to funnel magic. To limit magic, sending magic this way, that way. It's he's what helps harness it into spells, makes it controllable. Um, wild magic would very much fall under um, you could say Omnion's point of view, but you got to remember that up until recently, wild magic has always existed, but no one knew Omnion existed. Even the other gods did know Omnion was currently in this reality when they came from wherever they came from. For the record, we're going to get more into that in the future, too. When they came from wherever they came from, they didn't know Omnion and Anyana came, or, uh, came through. Anya. So, up until this point, the god of magic kind of covered both. And he still does. But that doesn't mean that Omnion wouldn't use chaotic magic. Oh, he loves, he loves wild magic. Omnion would be happy to do that. Um, the way that clerics work for Omnion isn't specifically wild magic um the way the way that their magic works from a cleric point of view is that at the beginning of every day we roll to find out what's what spells she knows or he knows the cleric um again i've talked about this in in second edition magic is broken into schools for both wizards and clerics clerics are spheres wizards will but in the spheres um, a cleric, normally, by the second edition, the way you build a cleric, you have major access to some spheres and minor access to others. Major access means you can go all the way up. You can cast any spell once you're level appropriate. There's no limitation. If it's a sphere you have minor access, you can never cast more than third level spells. So, you know, if you're the god of healing, you've got major access to healing. Probably not going to have any access to war, but I might have minor access to sun. Which, some of this probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but necromancy is also that type of thing. So, um, that's how the spheres work. When you're a Omnion cleric, you wake up and I roll to see what spheres you have major access and what spheres you have minor access in. That's what you've got for the day. My world, you don't have to pick your spells ahead of time. You just look in the spheres and I can cast any of these spells that I want today. As many times until my spell points are gone. Whereas wizards are more direct. Uh, and they have no school limitation unless you're playing a specialist. Uh, next question. Magically do schizophrenia. Oh, yeah, we did that. Domains? That sounds like AD&D. Yeah, second edition. That's what all this is based on. AD&D second edition. Um, I, I 
I tried dabbling with fifth a year or so ago, and I just couldn't get into it. So second edition is um, second edition is is all I I really do. What all this is based on. Uh, a little confused. How or wild wild magic is so different from the other magic? That's a great question. Um, so wild magic is its own specific thing. Um, it was introduced in second edition in two different ways. There's a book called um, what is it called? Spellfire. It's a Forgotten Realms book, and it touches on some of that uh, a little bit. And then Wild Magic is also introduced into the Tome of Magic, 2nd edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And so that's really where that came from, and I, I, I really enjoyed that book, and its its concept of Wild Magic really spoke to me uh, it went from a writer's standpoint. So I started bringing it into my story very quickly, because Nylat Firemoon was a wild mate. Half. He's, he was actually a. He was triple classed. He was a warrior rogue mage. But his first was a warrior rogue, dual classed. Then he went triple classed. Can you do that normally? No. But he's an NPC. I can do what I need. But he ended up dropping those two to become a wild mage. Um, basically, just switched class. But that's because he had a natural tap to it. Wild magic is not something you can learn to cast. Just anybody. A regular mage can't decide I'm going to cast a wild magic spell. Not in, not in the version that I play. You have to be born with the ability to tap into wild magic. And then just like anyone else, you can learn to cast spells. And with wild magic, it can increase the potency or give you access to spells you might not normally would or, or even different effects. But because you're using your natural tap into wild magic to boost these spells you run the risk that wild magic will literally make it go wild. You get that chaotic wild surge where it literally takes over the spell and does something different instead. That's what a wild surge is. A wild surge is where the wild magic is taking over the spell and producing a different effect. I'm casting magic missile. But the wild magic, which is so hard to control, too much wild magic enters into that spell. And that magic missile I was going to used to knock that guy backwards a little bit, I fast a fireball or a thousand butterflies. It's, it's you know, the magic is so much, it, it surges and the spell transforms into some other effect. Um, if you're interested in the wild magic stuff, like to know a little bit more of it, you uh, might want to see if you can find a tome of second edition tome of magic online uh, digitally. I'm sure there is one, uh, or I could let me know. I'll try to track one down or at least scan the, the pages of that explain it a bit for you and I can get that online. Uh, because it's it's a really interesting concept. Um, dead magic zones, which is where New Gully is. Dead magic zones. Uh, my first introduction to those uh, was in um, the R.A. Salvatore Dritz novels. There was a Forgotten Realms series called The Time of Troubles, where the gods. This is a great concept of gods, by the way. I love this. Something Forgotten Realms did. Uh, they're like, hey, we're the gods. But there's something more powerful out there nobody else knows about. But we do. And these things are mad that we're being petty. And so Helm, the guy who kind of speaks between the two groups, says they've decreed that you aren't worthy to be gods and cast them all to the world to be mortal. And they have to either earn their way back in or, or rule on the whatever. And it became known as the Time of Trouble. So cleric spells all stopped working and such or stopped working the same because there were no gods granting them anymore. 
there were avatars walking around. And during that story, some gods died, and other people rose up to become gods, and some gods found their way home, and it was Helm that guarded the, the stairs to heaven, if you will, and people had to find their way back in to become gods. And during that, there was a whole mess of stuff. After that happened, there was a small piece of dead magic stone, a piece of land that was dead magic, that was used in a Dritz novel. When you pulled it out, it eliminated all magic around it. I loved the concept of that. And so when I was working on Merged World, in my mind, I was like, well, what if Merged Worlds pulled a part of a world where magic didn't exist? It, Earth is a dead magic zone. There's no magic here. Contrary to what some of you may believe, there's no magic here. So it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, why wouldn't that piece of world... Why, I've, I've already made it a rule that things don't run together. Snow doesn't run into desert, even if they're side by side. It's a hard line. So dead magic would be a hard line too. So that's when I started putting dead magic areas. And there are a few wild magic areas out there as well that going into them would give everybody, every caster, the chance of a wild surge, regardless of the spell they cast, even clerics. Normally it only affects wizards. Um, but for a wild mage in that area, they may find themselves overwhelmingly more powerful than they've ever been. Right? It's like plugging them into a bigger generator. Uh, let's see. So an odd question then. Since you use spell points, if the character casts magic missiles, in your example, instead of cast fireballs, would they use points appropriate to magic missile or fireball? Great question. Magic missile. They're still casting the spell. More magic is going through them to make the spell do something different. But they're not releasing anything from inside of themselves other than their knowledge, right? So their energy to cast a spell, they're also working from... I like to... Let's put it this way. Let's just say that this hand shoots out my spell. And this hand has magic running into it. I'm sucking it out of the world. Magic is out there already. So as it's coming in and I'm casting the spell... Floodgates open on this, and wild magic and regular magic come surging through. And just like the cartoons, when you see that big bulge in the in the hose of water, it hits the end, boom, goes everywhere. That's exactly what's happening now. Wild magic and magic have—I'm using wild magic to power my spells to making it more powerful. But then, way too much wild magic versus regular magic comes in, and it surges through me. Wild magic surge and changes the effect of the spell. I still cast the same spell, but it's changing the effect of it after it's cast. So I still cast Magic Missile. Um, and I cast it using a Magic Missile level spell. I just happen to suck more juice out of the world. And that's why Wild Magic can be dangerous, because that's why I'm saying Wild Magic can make a regular spell more powerful. You know, you might be like, okay, I'm going to cast Magic Missile, but... I roll and I got, I got perfectly tapped into wild magic. I do max damage on all of them. I don't have to roll this time because the, I use that to boost it. But I run the risk of a surge. Magic is hacking the world and wild magic is messing up the address you hack. That's a great example. And dead magic just shuts it off. <laughs> So I've only ever shown one dead magic zone, and that's New Gully. There are others out there, and the characters have never gone through a wild magic area. Although I have a couple in my mind on the map that I am going to use at some point. I don't know if relatively soon for the storyline, as I have it right now, it doesn't require that. So I'm not sure. That might be something I do with a secondary group before instead of the prime group, just because, like, you know, if I'm doing a, a group with someone else, that could be a fun storyline, but it really doesn't have a place in the storyline I'm doing now.
So not using all that wild magic is part of what made the Big Bang of this universe. That's exactly correct. So Nylat, not only was he trying to use the magic, his wild magic, to boost a spell, he was also trying to draw the magic from these god artifacts that were indestructible and sources of amazing power themselves that the gods had no idea who made them and the gods couldn't destroy. And so they're... You know, he's using his magic. He's also drawing from that in order to basically break the law of reality and to become a god. And that's what he was looking to do. He wasn't looking to defeat another god and take their job. He was just gaining the power to make him equivalent as a god. Now, would he technically be a god? Well, that's, that at that point just really comes down to what, you know, personal perception, right? If I have the exact same powers as a god... People worship me because I give them the I give them gifts and powers in kind. Doesn't matter if I was born a god or not. I'm doing the job of a god. So might as well classify me as one. And that's kind of how I always view, viewed Nylat's transformation. He wasn't stepping in and, you know, defeating the god of blank to become the new god of blank. Which, I guess that could probably happen. I, I'm never really worried about that. But it's more one of those things where it's like, I'm taking power too, and now there's just a new player. Much like Omniana walking onto the scene. All the other gods still had all their powers, but now there's this very powerful god-goddess combo, because they're technically merged. Themselves, when they work together, are more powerful than any individual god. So, that was a surprise, but nobody else lost any of their stuff, other than access for a little while. Uh, Panda says you should swap sides of the dragon in the background once in a while. Maybe for particularly crazy episodes, have the Omni. <laughs> I could, I could probably do that. <laughs> uh, Black hole is wild magic divided by zero. There you go. Yeah, there's there wild magic, dead magic. I try to. That's that's probably again one of my favorite things about the entire merged world concept. I'm not limited to anything. I can literally do anything I want. I can. That's why there's a destroyed New York on this world, you know? That's um, why Mugen is walking around with the first and probably only pistol you'll ever see. It's not like a forty-five; It's like a classic flintlock pistol. But he's got one. Are guns going to pop up in anybody else's hands? No. No one else creating a character has the option to do that. It's not an available option to anybody. But, story-wise, it makes sense for him to have that. So... Uh, you know, I was able to bring that in if I want to. I can have Minotaur Paladins. I can have Evil Paladins, which technically doesn't exist in any form of Dean. I don't know if it's in 5th or not, but I didn't see it. Uh, paladins are usually lawful good. But in Merge World, any god can have a Paladin. You can be Paladin of the Light, you can be Paladin of the Darkness. You can be Paladin of Nature, if they, she wants to have one. There are many gods who don't have Paladins, and it's just because they have other things instead. They don't have the need or the or the reason to do a paladin. Uh, but paladins are, are usually going to... For example, Lucas was a paladin of death. That's what he was. That's, that's why he was a dancer of death. He was the equivalent of death's paladin. Um, and boy, could that man kill. I mean, that's just what he could do. And he'd do it perceptively because he's evil. He understands and the need of death reason for it and why it's important and why it needs to come to that guy over there. You know, doesn't mean he's still not a turd. He probably was in his younger life. And as he grew older, he realized what he was doing was wrong in his personal point of view and changed, changed alignments. But he was a paladin of death. 
That's why he went to his to the the goddess of death and asked her to give him those powers again. Give me my paladin powers back so I can do today what I need to do. Marshall Zealot Cleric. Very much so. Great concept. Uh, let's see. If you get a point of technology to allow it in my lifetime. Uh, kind of world I really love the character in a video game or something. Oh, yeah. Sure. I'd love to video games. Uh, Paladin music bonk people with guitar. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. So uh, the goddess of beauty, nature, and art. Or, sorry. Beauty, song, and art is Leia Liana, also known as the, the artist's god or the bard's god. Uh, doesn't have any paladins and doesn't mean might not decide one day to have one. There could be the one person who's the only paladin of that. I don't see why not. If I could find a way to work it into a story where a god had one paladin and they're here for this specific reason, that'd be cool. I can tell you right now, I don't have any of those. I don't have any other current funky paladins planned for the adventure. But who knows what I come up with as I'm writing. Uh, paladin of music, not to play, just to see played, right? A bard paladin? That's dangerous. <laughs> That's how I play and I treat paladins in my play too. As long as they are the same alignment as they Right, right? And they have justifications. And that's the thing, you know? Alignment and deities are run so many different ways in fantasy. Uh, and Dungeons and Dragons, in all Dungeons it's always been very militant. You are the god of death. Your minions are evil. It doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You're probably not the greatest person, but I don't think you'd have to be evil to worship death. Um, you may never actively take someone's life. You may never actively save one. But, you know, the worship of death doesn't have to be the worship of evil. There are some limitations. There are some things where just by natural order, probably going to go evil. Um, and there's some gods who just may be evil, and so to worship them, you fall in line like that. Like a good another example is the the god of the ocean is technically an evil god, but everybody who's got a boat worships him a little bit, or you're not going to make it where you want to go. Um, but life and death don't necessarily have to be good and evil. Right, um, that's why I don't have a god of good. I have a god of goddess of light. Uh, the light is one side of the of the the spectrum. The goddess of darkness, or god of darkness, is the opposite. It's not always black and white. Sometimes there's gray, and that's why neutrality exists. You could be a neutral person and worship nearly any god. I can be a neutral cleric of the light or a neutral. It rarely happens. But, you know, if somebody could come up with a good reason why they wanted a character like that, we'd talk about it and see if I could if I, if I could find a justification to make it work. I'm open to trying just about anything uh, when, I'm, when I'm DMing. But, you know, it's one of those things where I like to try to keep that open. I like, that's what Merge Worlds gives me the ability to do. I can step out of any rule, regulation, or guideline and say, yeah, but on this world, that happens. You know, and it's probably say it's an easy cheat to get around stuff like that, but I'll take it. I don't mind. I feel that it gives me the opportunity to do some really cool stuff with the story. So far, I haven't had a lot of people complain. Uh, Paladin music is Richie Blackmore. I don't know who that is. Uh, see, yeah, I've had the muse of writing mess up my plans. Hold the hell on. Okay, gotcha. 
Yeah, physical radio quality. That's accurate. Paladins are neutral or zealots. That's true. That's true. Extremists. Um, that and that's it. I mean, that really is what it comes down to. You can be insane. Worship any god. Take it too far. A good Dragonlance example. That is the king priest. The gods threw a fiery mountain at the world because the king priest felt himself holy enough to challenge the gods himself. Cleric of goodness. He's a turd. The gods threw a mountain at him and killed his ass and took his entire city and kingdom out with him. So, uh, there's that. Has ever, ever anyone want to worship the demigods? Oh, what a great question. You can imagine someone worshiping the gray man. Um, no one's ever asked. Uh, but again, the amount of people who've really played clerics is limited, right? I mean, it really is mostly Artemis. Druids and such back in the day. Most of the rest are NPCs. Um, the demigods are servants. The demigods don't have the ability, in my understanding, the way I've got it set up, demigods can't provide you powers. Right? Gods are providing you a power. Giving you the ability to cast your spells, if you will. Or controlling a specific force. The, the watchers, the, the demigods, always in my mind were halfway between a god and then the watchers of like the Marvel Universe. People who don't get involved Directly? They still may meddle. They don't get in there and kill someone themselves or save someone's life, but, you know, they might say, hey, this person over there is dying, you might want to help them. You know, it's kind of that. Um, anyone could worship them, but they wouldn't have any powers for doing so. The demigods have no powers to share. The demigods can deliver powers, a good way to put it, they have magic and powers of their own. He created the amulets that let them find the artifacts. That was Zoltan who made those. Because he knew the artifacts, and inside of the artifacts were his gods. But what else knew that? That's why he was able to make that amulet. Why he's the only demigod that, that made it through. That we know of. Zoltan the Grey Man. Yeah, you could choose him as a deity. Yeah, you could definitely do that if you wanted to. I would have no negative, negative problem with that, unless you're a cleric. <laughs> you can't be a cleric in worship. But anybody else would be like, yeah, I'm a warrior, and I think the gray man's badass. Sure. The thing is, most people don't know Zoltan exists. Not openly worshipped. He's not openly even known. He pops in when he needs to because he's doing something to serve the gods he serves. For many years, his primary job was to protect the weapons and the artifacts from getting into people's hands, and he kept failing at that. Or so it seemed. But most people don't even know he exists, except for the few people who worship Omniana. Uh, he knew about them, and he would have been basically the person speaking to them on their behalf. Uh, after the source was opened and Omniana came in, the clerics of, of order and chaos existed for the first time. There suddenly were those clerics who now, people who already worshipped them, <clears throat> but could, didn't have any spell-like powers because their spells were trapped within the artifacts. But once they became an actual god, those clerics now had power, and there are clerics of Chaos and Order walking around. Hence the Chaos spells we talked about earlier. Um, let's see. Demon something worshipping would probably have their own powers taken away. Oh, well, potentially. If that's even possible. 
So now that that then you're opening up a very dangerous door there, Panda, because the question is, did the gods create the demigods? Demigods come from wherever the gods came from with them. That's a whole other question. I've always said that with the Watchers, when the when the universe was first made and those artifacts popped up, they put the demigods in charge of doing that. Never said if they made the demigods. Go either way. Hate and love when you tack on the that we know of. That means good things are usually... <laughs> Thank you. Those that do would rather kill him than worship him. Yes, that's true. He's a meddlesome turd, right? I mean, you think he's doing good stuff. And in many ways, he has, right? He's unlocked the world, which was technically locked by something they did. He led to the merge because he wanted that. So lots of people died because of that. Did he do anything good? Okay, let's see. Here's a good thing, right? He sent Darsh to help save... Uh, serenity several times he's popped in in that regard i mean he's he's done some he brought them back from the dead that's a pretty nice thing to do four of them so i mean his actions aren't good or evil his actions are ordered or chaotic that's how i've always viewed him he's not good or evil in fact if anything he's pure neutral but he does what he's told he's being chaotic or he's being ordered so uh he he's hundred percent non neutral or non non aligned. If anything, he'd be dead neutral. Uh experience DM, I'd like to point out that it's not a guarantee. <laughs> so we'll say things are gonna happen. Whether it's good or bad is yet to be seen. But it can usually mean things will happen. I like to tease things in the future. I like to give hints of things that are coming, especially when it's things that's not giving away a surprise. Like I I was very careful not to hint towards Rose or any of that. Um, and one thing you can watch for in the story that will be something that you'll know, but they don't, right? I'm going to throw that at you. Something you'll know, you'll notice, but nobody in the story will notice. But in the future, when there are conversations about the Black Rose, and say Mercy and Artemis and Dandy and them are talking, you're going to notice that without thinking about it, Artemis is going to ref refer to her as Rose. Yeah, but can we really trust Rose to do that? What has Rose gotten into now? Well, the Black Rose did this. The Black Rose did that. Really? What else did Rose do? It's going to be one of those unconscious things. And no one else is really going to pick up on it. I have no intention of them to. I'm not giving away anything in the story. But from just a character point of view... Artemis will refer to her as Rose because now she sees her as a person, not as much as a title or an entity. And that's something I've always planned to do once it finally came out, is that Artemis would be that way. Talking to Draven, it's like, oh, what's Rose into this time? Or blah, 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 blah. We can't talk about Rose. We can't tell her about Rose. It's always going to be referred to her as a person because that's how Artemis sees her. Uh, so that's that's just going to kind of be a fun little thing that you may get to pick up on, but I can tell you it's not going to be a hint that Dandy or Mercy or anybody else just picks up on. It's just a cool thing I always thought would be fun for the characters to be able to do. Uh, now we're talking about it, kind of like to see some of the Chaos Boost Neutral themes pop up again. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to see a lot of that. There's going to be a whole lot of that. Yeah, uh, Omniana is not out of the picture. Remember, Omniana the gray man by association, is what's causing all this serif crap. I can guarantee you, you're going to get to see a lot more Omniana-based stuff the further we move into this storyline. Uh, chaos Order. Oh yeah, we're going to see a lot of Chaos Order, because that's the two sides to 
Seraph's prophecy or the two sides to his choice he has to make. Does he choose order or chaos? He's not choosing good or bad. He has to choose order or chaos because that's what the bet is. What's stronger, order or chaos? It's a bet made between these two gods. So I can guarantee you, while they may not have popped up yet, you're going to see a lot of Omniana-based things happen in the story as we move further and further and closer to the time period where that choice has to be made. Uh, is this both type? I view him as one of the only pure neutrals in the universe, along with no... Yeah, exactly. Neutral, yeah, knowledge is the same thing. Nodule, knowledge, there is no good or evil in knowledge. Knowledge is purely neutral. It's how you use it. Um, no such thing as bad knowledge, except for Artemis now knowing him. You know what I mean. Oh, give me just a second. All right, good deal. So, um, that being said, uh, we are now right about the 10 o'clock point. <laughs> I know this episode was a little bit different since the last 30 minutes of it has just been chatting and us answering questions, but uh, I do this sometimes on our Behind the Dice series, which is... You know, I do this every other Thursday, and the Thursdays in between is behind the dice. And uh, we talk about Dungeons & Dragons in general, um, and I answer questions or my point of view, talk about how to DM, how to PC, things that might help you with your own world building. This is just based on my experience, I've just because I've been doing it a long time. Uh, so definitely swing by for that. But people do ask Merge Worlds questions in there, and as long as it's not giving away something in the future, I'm always happy to try to, always happy to talk about Merge Worlds. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, but we're at the two hour mark and I do try to keep this at two hours. I'm trying to keep it right about that point. So it's a little more, uh, consumable on iTunes and Spotify. If you are out there, listen to this on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you very much. And if you aren't, but you have an iTunes or Spotify, it would be awesome. You wouldn't mind going to the podcast of your choice and, uh, giving it a follow or a like or all five, all the stars and, uh, especially a review. I believe Spotify now has the ability to like or rate where you couldn't do that before. And I think you can leave reviews now. Uh, definitely helps out. Again, it's 100% free there, just as it is free here on YouTube. Uh, I don't. There's never going to be a cost on listening or watching Merge Worlds. I'm not trying to make money of it. I just want to share it with as many people as I can. So if you've got a couple seconds and you don't mind, it would be awesome if you'd give us a follow, a rating, some likes. And if you know anybody else you think might like this concept, like, like the story, send it that way word of mouth is the best advertising anybody can ever have that said i'm gonna go ahead and call this a day thank you so much for coming by and let me share my story once again uh it was fun to finally get to share this piece of the puzzle which is going to have drastic lasting effects as we move forward um and i'll be interested to see uh when some of you might notice it's rose and not dandy that may be participating in a story or an adventure. I'm uh, pretty, pretty excited about it. All right. I'm going to call that out. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, if you like this video as well, if you'd mind clicking like here, that helps out as well. Uh, and I'll be back here again two Thursdays from now where we step back into the children. And uh, things are about to start getting very escalated in their lives. Folks, all have yourselves a wonderful